Hello, I'm Judith Priestman. I'm Curator of Literary Manuscripts at the Bodleian Library, and it's my happy task to be in charge of Tolkien's papers. On World Book Day, we decided to put on a small display of some of Tolkien's artwork, and we have a large collection of drawings and paintings, watercolours, doodles, illustrations by Tolkien, so we were really rather spoilt for choice as to know what to pick. But in the end, we decided to show three of his uh, famous watercolours that were published in The Hobbit, and the dust jacket that he designed himself, and the first edition of The Hobbit, which he also designed himself, the, cover, the covers of it, and um, the black and white illustrations inside it. And then we also found this wonderful sheet of doodles that's got, well, I'll describe that a lot, a lot later, but uh, it, it's, it was a real find to discover it. It was rather difficult to decide which um, paintings we wanted to show, but uh, in the end, we picked the ones that had been the most popular. We picked, in particular, one drawing called Bilbo Comes to the Hut of the Raft Elves, which was Tolkien's very favourite of all the drawings he produced and paintings he produced in the course of his life. And of course, you have to remember that he was painting and drawing um, from when he was a toddler, really. So we've got evidence of his artwork from, from very early age, from the age of about five or six, right through until he died. He was a very, very talented designer indeed. And he had a very low opinion of his talent. And I think the 850 people or more, I don't quite know what the figures were in the end, that came along to World Book Day uh, would have wholly disagreed with uh, his view of himself as a not a very competent artist. He was a marvellous designer. He couldn't draw people. That was the only thing he couldn't do. Um, one of the drawings we showed was the wonderful one of Smaug the dragon on his golden hoard. It's a very vibrant painting. And it's got a picture of Bilbo bowing in the bottom corner. And it's, uh, he's wearing boots, which is very extraordinary. In all the pictures, in all the watercolours in The Hobbit, Bilbo is wearing boots. Bilbo with his you know, marvellous curly hair on his feet and leathery soles that don't require footwear, but he is wearing boots. And he's not very well drawn, but for the rest of it, he really, he really could um, put down in image form this extraordinary imagination he had. The thing about the paintings, as opposed to the illustrations, is that the, the pa these paintings that we showed on World Book Day didn't actually appear in the first British edition of The Hobbit. Tolkien always called it an illustrated manuscript. It was a manuscript that was in circulation long before it was published. It was, he showed it to all his friends at Oxford, the Inklings group of people. C.S. Lewis read it a long while before um, it was ever published. And Tolkien had illustrated it with black and white drawings, pen and ink drawings, and they really are marvellous. There's a very frightening one of trolls in a forest, and it's just done in black ink with just a tiny little, a few tiny little bits of white, and these figures of trolls peering out behind the tree going like that, looking very <laughs> creepy. So that's the home manuscript, he called it. That was what was published as the first British edition. And it was only when the Americans wanted to publish The Hobbit that Tolkien decided, um, well, Tolkien was asked by his publishers to supply watercolours, and he said, oh, I don't know whether I can or not, really. Um, but that's how he painted the watercolours. He painted it for the first American edition, not for the first British edition. So the first edition that's in the Bodleian, that came in by copyright, and there were only 1,500 copies of those printed, 
uh, doesn't have any watercolours in it. What do you think of um, Tolkien's like other works, like as opposed to like the famous ones, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings? Have you read um, the, the Silmarillion and other things like that? The Silmarillion, in a sense, isn't a isn't a work by Tolkien. I'm risk bringing in the wrath of people who think it is on my head. Here, the Silmarillion was the whole mythology that Tolkien worked on. Um, and it was published posthumously. It isn't a complete work as such. It was sort of the well from which he drew. And it's, I think it's fascinating and essential if you want to understand Tolkien to read it. But I couldn't say that it was a good read. The thing about The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, of course, is they are rattlingly good reads. And obviously they're very much loved by um, an awful lot of people. Um, what were the reactions of some of the people who came to see the exhibition? Oh, it was marvellous. It was the, so Many people had to queue for well over an hour to get in, and not a single person complained uh, that actually got in. I mean, I know some people uh, felt they couldn't wait that long. Everyone said how wonderful it was to see it. They all had their own particular Tolkien stories to tell. I had uh, a chap turned up who looked like Farmer Giles of Ham, he had a big beard and big fellow, and his father had been head porter at uh, Merton College. And then there was another girl who was an undergraduate in the English faculty who turned up and who'd been in love with Bilbo and she was a child and slept with the Hobbit under her pillow and then had decided to read English literature as a result of that. So it was very nice. And uh, as I say, Priscilla Tolkien also paid a, a quick visit in the afternoon. And, uh, that's Tolkien's daughter, of course, and was very pleased to see her father's work. The Bodleian's got a great collection of Tolkien drawings and paintings, as I was saying earlier, and they range from the ones he made when he was a child to the ones he made when he was a teenager, which are straightforward landscapes and pictures of street scenes. He made quite a few in his notebooks of um, Oxford scenes before the First World War, which are very interesting. You see Turl Street and Exeter College as it was before they knocked part of it down. And he also, in his early career as an artist, drew a series of drawings that look very 1960s in their inspiration. They're very hippie, trippy, countercultural productions. It's rather hard to describe them, but if you know about street magazines in the 1960s, and you can imagine lots of curvy paths and starbursts and mythological states of being he tried to illustrate and that was quite interesting as well but then as obviously as the the middle earth um, took over his life many of his um, paintings and sketches uh, were to illustrate the lord of the rings and the hobbit and the work he was writing because for tolkien writing and painting were very much linked so quite often his, obviously his artwork reflected what he was writing, but sometimes it worked the other way when he got a particularly fine piece of drawing. He then um, altered his writing to fit the drawing. So many hundreds, many different things to be said about all of them, I think. But anyone that does, that's involved with uh, book design will tell you what a wonderful book designer Tolkien was. He even looked at typefaces to be used in his books. And of course, he was perpetually thwarted by the fact that publishers after the war didn't have the resources to publish his works as he wanted them. He wanted illustrations in The Lord of the Rings and wasn't able to get them. 
Tolkien, of course, was in some ways a quintessentially Oxford figure. I mean, one always thinks of him as being an elderly sort of cove with a pipe stubbling round here. What people tend to forget is that, that Tolkien, when he came here, was a young professor. He was only 35. And um, in one sense, all the dramatic events had happened to him uh, before he came here. And so that his life in Oxford was a life of writing and working. He was in the English faculty, of course. He, he was a prolific scholar of... Uh, well, he was a philologist, and his, his work on his, some of his works have become standard. He very seldom finished anything. We've got all his academic papers here in the Bodleian, and if he'd published all of them, um, I don't think he would have had time to do Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, so he was, as I say, he was a quintessential Oxford figure um, doing his academic work. But then he also had this other side to him of having this extraordinary imaginative life as well. And of course he was part of the uh, Inklings circle in the 1930s with C.S. Lewis and uh, Charles Williams. Um, and there was a Christian element, of course, on that side of it. Tolkien was a Roman Catholic, so I think for a lot of the time here, Oxford was very Anglican until comparatively recently, and Tolkien didn't have an easy time of it because of being a Catholic. But eventually, of course, he became a very well-known Oxford figure renowned for his lecturing style, which was inaudible. He declaimed beautifully, had the most beautiful speaking voice, and when he would declaim verse, it came out absolutely marvellously. But then his lecturing style, you couldn't hear him, apparently. He, had a, he was a great rugby player, although only a small chap. Um, and there's a picture of him that I showed um, some school children just before the World Book Day, and there's a picture of him with Exeter College Rugby 15 and the Rowing 15, and he's this tiny little figure in between these huge burly blokes. And I believe he used to say that he, it, the reason he muttered um, or couldn't speak clearly was because he'd had a fall in rugby, you know, when all these burly chaps fell on top of him, and he'd split his tongue open. So that was that would account perhaps for his, uh, his inaudible lecturing style. Who knows? But it was a famous lecturing style, anyway. We're often asked to show Tolkien watercolours, particularly, and his drawings and his artwork. Um, and we have, in 1992, put on a large Tolkien exhibition. But unfortunately, we would love to do, be able to do this, but the watercolours are only watercolours on paper. And to expose them to light for any length of time is very injurious to this. If, if Tolkien had been writing in his beloved medieval period on animal skins with pigments, that would be very robust. But unfortunately, he was using quite often just his children's watercolours on bits of paper. And as we all know, paper from the 1850s is very acidic. And it's uh, it, it would be nice to think that we could have lots and lots of displays of Tolkien watercolours, but we'd probably have to do it in a very dark room. If you've ever seen the Book of Kells, you can hardly see the Book of Kells in Trinity College in Dublin because you have to keep it so dark. Oh, I don't know, but we certainly, the pleasure for me um, was to see everyone's pleasure in seeing these watercolours, so it would be nice to think that we could repeat the experience, and we will repeat it, but probably not terribly often. <laughs>